If St. Paul wants to talk about separation, I think we have a few things that we could teach him. We are still living with the effects of a pandemic that affected and is still affecting nearly every aspect of our lives. Employees of all stripes left their corner cubicles and worked from home for years. But those who were unable to work from home still had to punch in and punch out at their place of employment. Only during the pandemic, we labeled them as frontline heroes. It was a nice title we could give them without giving them an actual pay increase. We stayed home. We separated from our family, our friends, and our neighbors. We bought fireplaces for our backyards so that we could gather and keep socially distanced while still having some form of neighborhood block party. We wore masks to protect those in our communities. But the upside of masks was that for those of us who can't control our nonverbals, we got in less trouble. Without things like FaceTime, Skype, and even Zoom, we would not have been able to stay connected with our family and friends. We would have flooded the United States Postal Service with cards and letters to one another. Yet the way we responded to the pandemic further separated us and our communities. Stay-at-home orders, vaccine mandates, and masks, along with the latest community infection rates, led to discussions at best, and at worst, arguments, further widening the distance of our separation. During the pandemic, I served as a hospital chaplain at Mary Washington Hospital in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Now wait, before you think of me as a frontline hero doing what had to be done in the midst of adversity and the unknown, what you need to know is that pastoral uh, clinical pastoral education, which can be done through chaplaincy, is a requirement for ordination in the United Methodist Church. So this requirement just happened to coincide with, you know, a once-in-a-generation pandemic. Throughout the Delta and Omicron waves, I experienced firsthand how separated we really were as parents had to choose which parent would be the one parent to get to stay with their child after their child had been admitted. I got to see how families were separated as five people had to be chosen from a family of 30 to go into the hospital to say goodbye to the matriarch of the family while I stayed in the parking lot and prayed with the other 15 to 25 people. Patients died while nurses held up iPads connecting that person with family members who were not permitted to travel because of local infection rates or international travel stoppages. Parents celebrated the birth of newborns without family and friends gathered around them, without you know, the crazy uncle bringing the inappropriate balloon and the cigar bubblegum. But families also mourned the death of children without being surrounded by family and friends because their family and friends just simply weren't permitted to come into the building. My first shift as a hospital chaplain was an overnight shift, Saturday afternoon through Saturday night into Sunday morning. I thought if I can't hack it with an overnight weekend shift, 
This is not set up for me. That first shift, I helped two parents who had a prematurely born baby transport their child to Children's Hospital in D.C. I assisted the family in the emergency room as their loved one was navigating being admitted after a pretty serious car wreck on I-95. In between those things, I made my rounds between the ICU, the COVID ward, and the behavioral health wing of the hospital. And I was present for three deaths related to COVID. I woke up in the on-call room after sleeping about 90 minutes, handed my 1980s-style pager to the next incoming chaplain, and I made a beeline for my RAV4 in the parking garage. I opened up the door, sat down, turned on the car, made sure the seat heaters were on because it was January, and I gripped the steering wheel, and I sighed. And you know how in January you can feel your breath? You can feel your sigh move through that crisp air. As that sigh came out, I said, God, what in the world is happening? You really dropped the ball on this one. But what you need to know is that I didn't actually say it as calmly as I did just now. I yelled it as loud as I could. And what you, the other part you need to know is that when I pray, outside of worship on Sunday morning or with my family or with you. I typically pray in my head. I'm not an out loud personal prayer. And so for me to yell these things out was something new. It was emotions and feelings that were swirling inside me that had nowhere else to go but to be yelled out into the world. And I imagine many of you were yelling the same things around the same time. The distance between me and God, between my patients that I had been caring for and God, and the distance between the unknowns that were swirling around us and God felt like they were too much. The separation was too much. Things were coming apart. So I have a thing or two that I could teach St. Paul about separation. We're closing out chapter 8 at the climax of St. Paul's thesis. Paul asks, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Paul's question can't be taken lightly because for the past 219 verses, Paul has been leading up to this question. Paul's systematic theology has been building a crescendo of grace to this moment. Who will rescue us from death, Paul asks in chapter 7. The answer is Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. And because Jesus is our rescuer, we do not face condemnation for our sin. Rather, we live in new life through the Holy Spirit. That's the end of chapter 7. But then we can jump to the beginning of chapter 8. Because we are living a spirit-filled life, we are also co-heirs with Christ in Christ's kingdom. And because we are co-heirs with Christ, we are now people of hope, living knowing that God is making all of creation, every nook and cranny made right. So when St. Paul asks, who will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, he's asking a question that he's already answered 219 times from the beginning of Romans until this moment. Who can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate us from the grace of God? Nothing. Nothing. Not sin, not death. 
Paul asks again, will hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? No, they won't. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. After one of the deaths that I assisted with, at the hospital, the family asked me if I would help them prepare for their funeral. Being a pastor, funerals are one of the things that we do. I took a class in seminary on how to plan a funeral, on how to preach at a funeral, on the music that we have at funerals. They train us pretty good for this. But this conversation about planning a funeral was different than any other that I had had in the church. You see, in churches, when you're planning a funeral, usually the first question you get asked is about logistics. We want to know if everything's going to work the way that we want it to. Are we going to get the correct date on the calendar? If it's Saturday the 9th, okay, can we do 9 a.m.? Okay, if we do 9 a.m., what time does the florist need to show up with the flowers? Okay, if the florist is going to show up at 7.30, what time should the caterer show up? We worked through the process, for six years, of, or it was four years of pastoral ministry at the time, funeral planning had always been about process. But in the parking lot at Mary Washington Hospital, when we were talking about a funeral, the family asked, what scripture do we pick? How do we hold the tension between honoring this loved member of our family with the grief that we hold right now and then the separation that we feel as a family from God? The family asked, how can all of this work for good? Maybe that's a question that you've asked during a hard time in your life. Maybe it wasn't even the death of a family member or a friend. Maybe it was just a hard Wednesday afternoon. And you're thinking, how in the world does all of this work towards God's good? When the family asked that question, I told them they were asking the same questions that St. Paul was asking in our scripture test text today, and it's the same question I told them that I asked after my first shift at the hospital. Paul, in this letter, is less concerned with the things that divide us. Paul's not talking about our politics or how we responded to a pandemic. Paul's not concerned with our family feuds or the fights that we're having with our friends. Paul is not worried about the divides that happen in the church when we discuss at best or at worst argue about the color that we should paint the walls or if the carpet in the sanctuary needs to be replaced. Paul's not worried about internal conflicts of the church and Paul's certainly not worried about whether or not you like your pastor. Paul is looking towards the cosmic reordering of creation where the ultimate separator Death caused by our sin is permanently defeated. And the proof that Paul has for this cosmic reordering is none other than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Paul's grand historical evidence for this claim, for this truth, is none other than the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. There are times when we will go through life feeling as though our relationship with God is the same as we felt about our relationships with family and friends during the pandemic. 
Our family and friends were, were absent. They didn't call and check in on us, we thought. But maybe they were still thinking about us. Or we were physically separated from our best friend, someone that we've had coffee with every day for 40 years straight. We feel isolated, alone, and forgotten. When we feel this way, we can feel as though we're the only person in the community that's going through this type of isolation. We tell ourselves that God feels miles away and that there's not another person among us who will understand how we're feeling. Mother Teresa, I'm sure most of you have heard of her. She was called in the 1940s to serve the pe people living in extreme poverty in India. In 1950, she founded a ministry called Missionaries of Charity. And this was a, a charity that worked with those suffering from leprosy in Calcutta. Through this charity, they provided medications, wound dressing, food, and most importantly, community to people that were living on the margins of society. Here's what she said about her calling into ministry. I was to leave the covenant. She was a, a nun. I was to leave the covenant and help the poor while living among them. It was an order from Christ. To fail would have been a break in faith. We always hold up people like Mother Teresa, St. Teresa now, as pillars of our faith in our tradition that Allison told the kids about. But there's always a backside to the story that we don't always know about. After Mother Teresa's death, her private writings were published and made public. And here's what she wrote in 1953, just three years after opening the missionary charity that she started in Calcutta. She wrote, where is my faith? Even deep down, there's nothing but emptiness and darkness. If there be a God, please forgive me. When I try to raise my voice to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my soul. Whether we are a canonized saint that is the poster child for doing good things in the world, or whether we're a hospital chaplain just trying to get through the United Methodist ordination process, or someone who week in and week out sits on the hard wood pews of a sanctuary waiting for God to reveal God's self. The separation we feel that is present can give us reason to doubt and wonder if God is even for us. And in our doubts and wondering, we begin to wander away from our faith. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. There's nothing that can separate you from the love that God has for you right now and the love that God has always had for you. Not sin, not even that sin that you can't forgive yourself for committing, and certainly not death. For if sin and death can, can separate us from God, if they do separate us from God, then all of us are doomed, your preacher included. No one will escape. While we may have a thing or two to teach St. Paul about separation, Paul is reminding the church that when we feel abandoned or alone, that the grace of God is ours. Whether we know it or not, to use a John Wesley term, our grace is preveniently ours, meaning it goes before us whether we know it's there or not. 
Our best selves will never prevent a separation. There are no number of good deeds that you can do to make God's grace more yours. And likewise, our worst selves cannot separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ in whom we find rest. Through Christ, not only comes the forgiveness of sins, but also the rectification of all the things that separate and divide us from one another and all of the, all of the things that make us feel as though we are separated from God. God is stronger than our sin. God is mightier than our death. Through Christ's resurrection, God has overcome every power that can separate us. Amen.